Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the word on the hill. Welcome to the podcast. It sounds like the opening to a 1950s sitcom. (laughs) Starring Father Peter and Scott. Dude, the other day. In Technicolor. Oh, yeah, man. The other day I was like, every once in a while I get this song stuck in my head. Pinwheel, pinwheel, spinning around. I get that whenever my computer is taking me a long time. Yeah, the rainbow pinwheel yeah, on yeah. my Mac that spins. Dude, I looked up the song on YouTube. Oh, no. And in the opening credits, they have a fortune teller and a mime, dude. I think you showed me that once. And it yeah. was the freakiest thing I think I've ever seen. Yeah, and I was like... I was I've like, seen some freaky stuff. I was like, it was like Men Without Chests. It was like so... Uh, you know what I'm talking about? From, uh, wasn't from that a book? C.S. Lewis. Oh, from, C.S. Lewis. Yes, yes, yes. yes yeah, yes, when yes. he was talking about how uh, ch- children's stuff is never neutral; it's always teaching. And uh, oh. and so I was like, I was like, dude, no wonder our our generation is just messed up. It's mimes, dude. It's the mimes. It's not the fortune tellers. It. It's the mimes. They did have mime masses back in the day. Oh no! Back when I worked at the biblical school, I I saw pictures of mime masses that were performed. Dude, the other day I was like, oh, "Are we man. whispering now?" Yeah, we can t- we can talk. It's okay. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I should have been a mime for Halloween. Oh, because that's terrifying. And then said mass. <laughs> so uh, we're oh, in the thirty-second okay. uh, Sunday in ordinary time. Let's we get down are. to business, especially for Mike Dill. Shout out to you. Yeah. Oh, I can I I have a couple of shout outs. Sorry, I I almost forgot. Um, I have two. Sh- yeah, Mike Dill get, had some kind words for us, which. Uh, <laughs> unexpectedly he talked said, about how we, we don't get, have a bunch of fluff and filler and we cut to the chase which was not the critique our podcast got a dude, couple years ago all you have to do is listen to episodes from like five years ago no, don't and, tell mike to do that yeah dude and and you'll realize that we actually took some recommendations from the Baselli's. yeah that's true um so a, a shout out i want to give a, a shout out on on behalf of colin may who sent a oh my gosh so colin may sent this great um email he's from indiana westfield indiana and uh, he was, he's a professor at Stevenson University of Forensic Studies and Criminal Justice. Cool. So we're applicable to that in some way. We speak to that. But I loved he, – he, it was this visceral email for me. He talked about how he had listened to uh, the podcast. Um, his – let's see. One, one of his brothers from uh, – a friend from, from Christ Renews' parish, John Suzo, he also wanted to give a podcast to. But they were listening to the podcast, and he said after the kids were done trick-or-treating on Halloween, they sat around the fire sipping nice bourbon and talking about the podcast. Whoa. And I'm like, that is the dr- – I love good bourbon. And I love good scotch. And the thought of like sitting around drinking a nice bourbon or a nice scotch, talking about scripture and theology, I'm like, you guys – you guys win win the podcast for the week. Dude, absolutely. So to, to John and to Colin, um, big shout out to you guys. And then lastly, a quick shout out also, obviously, to um, Catherine Martin's sister-in-law, Alyssa, who just became a Catholic on October 15th, which is awesome. So Alyssa, welcome to the church. I know there's a lot of prayer and discernment that went into that. Um, she's a listener to the podcast. So congratulations. Welcome to the family. And uh, yeah, that's what I got. That's awesome. I uh, was going through my to-dos, and I don't know when this to-do is from, uh-huh. but Maureen Haggerzy. Oh. Um, shout out to her. I have yeah. no idea from who or why, but like, I have a note. <laughs> okay. Maureen, what up? What up, Maureen? You know, this is the, I, I'm giving you a shout out for my cleaned out to-dos. Yeah, well done, Father Peter. Yeah, well, you spent earlier this week cleaning out to-dos. Oh, man. And it always boots me in. The, I always feel like the Hulk after I'm doing it because of <laughs> so the amount of shame that's built up in my heart for oh. the work that I haven't done. But you did it. I did so it. So now you, you, know? can, you can leave that in the confessional. 
So yeah. uh, 30 Second Sunday in Ordinary Time. Okay. Our first reading is coming from the book of Wisdom, the Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Our responsicle, Oriel Solomon. <laughs> nice. <laughs> is Psalm 63. Okay. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 2B is our response. 2B or not 2B? That is the response. That is the response. <laughs> our second reading is coming from 1 Thessalonians, the end of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. The rapture passage. And that's there's a longer, shorter form. So the shorter form is oh, if you is, don't yeah. want to actually talk about the <laughs> stuff that's hard. That's just, <laughs> we're gonna we gotta talk about the stuff that's hard. Dude, that's it. So then our Matthew twenty five is the gospel one through thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> you rearranged that, but uh, it worked. I know, that's a it's it's applicable. You're always I feel like whenever I come down to your basement, you've periodically rearranged it, but it always works. Yeah. So you, you that that was a good uh demonstration of what the studio's like now? Yeah. You rearranged it, but it works. I uh, for for those of you who don't know, I um I, I d- just discovered projectors. Like you can buy cheap projectors. You didn't just discover projectors. That's misleading. Well, I mean, I, in my own personal life. And so I and then I found a cheap gigantic screen, so now I've been playing video games on like a 96 inch screen on a projector in my basement that's a big screen it's a big screen and it's really pretty fun i'm i'm all about it so um awesome well let's dig into some wisdom for those of you who um do do not uh, have wisdom uh, in your bibles it's because you don't have necessarily a catholic bible it doesn't mean you're not wise um but this is one of the apocryphals yeah, or the, you know, I, I try canonicals. To, yeah, we try to avoid the term apocryphal. Apocryphal are the title given to these books um, to uh, to tear us down, actually. It's not a kind title. It's like it, the hokey pokey. Yeah, it kind of is. It's like, oh, these are the, apocryphal means hidden or, or veiled. We call the book of Revelation the apocrypha because it is explicitly things that God has veiled and is slowly unveiling and revealing to us. But these books are called that because they're like the secret hidden book. It's the stuff that like the National Geographic Channel, you know, Discovery Channel loves. To, oh, the secret hidden things that the Catholics are hiding from us all in the basement of the Vatican. No, no, no. Th- these are books that we believe Jesus read. This is part of the Septuagint. This was part of the canon that the Hebrews were reading at the time. Uh, Martin Luther, unfortunately, took it out of his German translation of the Bible. But because uh, most, most, most because he was looking for original Hebrew. He, so he said, how do we determine this? He went to original Hebrew rather than um, the fact that, the, that these would have not had Hebrew c- counterparts, most likely, and that they would actually have been written in, in Greek. Which was one of the criteria that the Jewish rabbis used when they finally um, finalized their canon in the 300s A.D., um, partially in response to the Christian canon. They said, well, wait a second. We have all these books of the Bible. Um, the Christians are using these other books. We need to establish once and for all what are the books of the Jewish Bible. And one of the criteria was if we don't have a Hebrew original version of it, then it doesn't make it in. Well, wisdom was written in Alexandria, Egypt, and written in Greek. Um, this is the historical circumstances. The books of Maccabees aren't in there either, and uh, these are some important stories. Anyway, the point of it is, um, I think there's good reason to believe Jesus was actually reading these books and studying these things. So we do as well. Um, we don't take them out. We keep them in. Uh, but wisdom, um, it, it's called the wisdom of Solomon. Strictly speaking, it's not probably not Solomon who wrote it. It's written. Uh, it, it's really just this gathering of wise sayings. It's part of what's called the wisdom literature, which is a Jewish tradition. It was written um, up in Alexandria. There was a moment when. The tradition says 70 Jewish elders traveled up to Egypt to translate the Old Testament, which was just the Bible at the time, (laughs) into Hebrew. The Tanakh. The Septuagint. 
the Tanakh, yeah, which was the Tanakh, yeah. And while they were there, they actually gathered other writings and other things that the Jewish people had been studying and reading and um, composed those things as well. So Wisdom of Solomon, they gathered together all these wise sayings, probably not written by Solomon, but in the spirit of Solomon and the name and reference of Solomon, things like this. But um, what it says is that this concept of wisdom, now think about this for a second, uh, they're writing primarily to Jewish people that are living in a Hellenized world. Hellenized, it's a fancy word that means uh, a Greek-influenced world. The Greek empire is, is the reigning empire. And what do we know about the Greeks? We know about the Greeks that they loved wisdom. Plato and Aristotle, Socrates, wisdom is held in this high regard. And so the wisdom of Solomon writes back to these Jewish people trying to be faithful in a, a foreign-occupied world Wisdom is not what the world says it is. Wisdom is not merely sophistry or speaking a certain way or, you know, trying to win an argument or shut somebody up, somebody else up or, you know, rhetoric. Those things are, are important. Um, shutting somebody up is not necessarily important. <laughs> important. But wisdom transcends that. It, it's timeless. Um, and you know, what I, the fathers of the church all saw here was wisdom is sort of a prefigurement. The way that the wisdom of Solomon references what wisdom is, it's all a prefigurement of Jesus himself. Which I think is a beautiful way to look at it. Absolutely. What were you going to say? I, I was going to say is that when I read uh, the wisdom in certain moments, there's a certain kind of Taoist expression. Yeah, I can see that. It's, it, it's, it's like, how do you come to the ineffable Tao? And uh, like in defining the Tao, you no longer have the Tao. And, it's and elusive. Like, it's elusive. It's, it's kind of an apophatic expression. <laughs> You're using a lot of big words today. Hey, man, that's because uh, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're eating it's, it's jambalaya. Big, it's Big Word Thursday. I'm big like Word Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing is like, I, I, as I look though, like I, I, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the Tao because it's, it's kind of a very pure philosophy. All I can think of is uh, the show Lost. Oh. <laughs> Which is not, yeah. Which is not, not the Tao. <laughs> no, not the Tao. But, but I, I just find it, it, it's in this wisdom tradition. Well, can you just tell us all, for people who don't know what the Tao is, uh, what the, do you mean by that? The, the Tao Te Ching is an ancient writing, uh, an ancient Asian writing that uh, is oftentimes, um, it's just, it's one of the very earliest uh, sacred writings yeah. of the East. Yeah, so good. Thank you. That's that's really kind of what it is. The, the history is a little bit more elusive. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's that's just, all I was. It's just to. trying to. And Tao is spelled T A O. So like, Believe if it or not. a lot of people will know the Tao of Pooh. The Tao of Pooh, yes, is a well-known book. In, in Boulder, particularly. Yeah, here. Yeah, I think we take for granted what is not known outside of Boulder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, well, well, what what I what I really love though is that like. The personification of the very best that exists. Yeah. That's so, a great definition of, of what wisdom literature speaks to. Right. Can we read this just to, at least a couple lines? To, because what you're saying, let's put it into context, because what you're saying is right on. Yeah. And again, we're talking about a people who, and again, these traditions, they're gathering together. These are writings that have been passed along for a long time, but they're writing these things as an encouragement to people who are suffering and and who have lost a lot of their identity and who they are what does it mean to be jewish in the diaspora what does it mean to be jewish after our life has been destroyed and we've been hauled off into exile and now we're back but it's not our land anymore and judaism just doesn't look like it used to look how do you what is our identity who are we the world tells us one thing but the scriptures tell us that we're supposed to be something else and so into that world we read resplendent and unfading is wisdom true wisdom not simply mm. greek wisdom not yeah. simply 
Plato and Aristotle. Thanks be to God for people like Thomas Aquinas, who showed us how you know Plato and Aristotle actually fit into the Catholic worldview. Right. But but it's not strictly them. It's not them alone. Um, and again, in the time historically, this is what the world is saying is important. No, no, no. Real wisdom is steadily is readily perceived by those who love her. She's found by those who seek her. She hastens to make herself known in anticipation of their desire. Whoever watches for her at dawn shall not be disappointed, for he shall find her sitting by his gate. For taking thought of wisdom is the perfection of prudence, and whoever for her sake keeps vigil shall quickly be free from care, because she makes her rounds, seeking those worthy of her, and graciously appearing to them in the ways and meets them in all solstitude. Um, there's a, a, a um, dichotomy that's put forth in the Book of Wisdom between the way of life and the way of death. If you follow the way of life, it will lead you to wisdom. Or conversely, if you follow wisdom, it will lead you to life. And if you follow the ways of the world and the way that the culture tells you to live, it's going to ultimately lead you to death. But if you seek truth, if you seek what really is, it's going to be made of, I mean, the fathers of the church then went back in this and like, wait a second, you can almost word for word replace Jesus for all these things. I mean, look at the gospel. It says, you will find me when you seek me. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Lo, I stand at the door and knock. I am this wisdom that seems elusive, but if you want to find me, I am present. Right. God is here. And we're talking about Jews who are living in, in a diaspora where their world and their identity has been stripped away. Where do we find God? Uh, the temple was destroyed. Now we've kind of rebuilt it, but he's not there anymore. God has abandoned us. He's left us. And it's saying, no, 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 he, he is there. His truth is evident. His life is present, even in the wisdom that he shows you. But he is present, even though you can't see him in the same way, which is an important encouragement for Christians living in a dark time. We don't always see God when we turn on the news or the TV or read social media, but he's present nonetheless if we seek him, if we look for him, if we open our eyes and turn away from the darkness of the world, we'll find him. And um, I love what the church has done with these readings because it is linked to this idea of seeking after wisdom, which seems elusive, but you can find. It's linked it with a bunch of readings about the second coming. Yeah, hold on. Before we move on <clears throat> into the second coming and, and seeing that, I think that you're hitting on one of my absolute favorite beautiful truths that exist in the world. Okay. If you are willing to look, God is found in everything. And that's what wisdom, that's the heart of wisdom. Absolutely. Is if that, you're willing to look. If you're willing to look. That's, which is not an e it's a simple thing, but it's not an easy thing. Well, and that's why I like the passion always fascinates me so profoundly. Mm. How, I mean, because what we are saying is that the greatest act of God is this it, 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 in his incarnation is the redemption of mankind through his suffering, passion, death, and resurrection. Yeah. And like, that's crazy. It is crazy. It's, it's just, it's just out of control because what it is, is it's a lesson to say that it is possible to find God in anything. If, if God's grace and power is poured out in the, the horrible torturing and execution of this man, mm. then then you can open your eyes and can be unafraid of anything. Like, yeah, you don't yeah. have to, like, I, I, um, we, uh, we moved the church around at St. Thomas Aquinas. So yeah. we, we reoriented the church. Speaking of rearranging things. Rearranging things, I like know. Like you did with Matthew. <laughs> like I did with Matthew, absolutely, and, and my and the studio. Mm. Um, it's funny because it, it, as we're facing in the same direction, it's like, you know, 
there is the will of God in the midst of this in like a very different way than what we're expecting. Mm. Like, like it could be comfortable. It can be uncomfortable. It's actually pretty uncomfortable for me right now. Cause I'm so used to the way that church is otherwise. Change is uncomfortable. Right. But there, but there's a profound lesson when whenever li- we're willing to listen and to look for God in the midst of mm. the, this world. And so it's pretty exciting actually. Absolutely. That's wh- that's why I love like Thomas Aquinas taking up Aristotle and Plato. Yeah. You can find him in there. Yes. I mean, yes. and, and that's kind of our job. Yes, absolutely. Is, right. to, is to look and to say, oh, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find the God. Right. The and, God. And the point, the God. But the point is, it's not about wisdom for its own sake. It's, it's again, this fathers of the church look back and like, no, no. What is wisdom? Wisdom is just knowing about stuff. Right. And being able to think about things like the Greeks thought it was. Wisdom is actually a person. That's why the wisdom literature personifies it. It makes it a her because of God. The Godhead has. All of you know, both of the genders, but you know, men and women are, are absorbed into God, who is named our Father. But anyway, that's a whole different direction. But there's a, it's significant that the Father, that the wisdom literature personifies wisdom. It's not just this thing, right? It's not just this idea, this abstraction. It's personified. And I don't think they realized what they were getting at by personifying wisdom and the fact that wisdom would actually become incarnate as a person, right? In Jesus, so. Which, which all of what you just said really leads us perfectly into the psalm, which says, My soul is thirsting for you, O Lord my God. I want to find you. I want to seek you. I live in a world full of darkness and confusion. And what my soul is thirsting for is not the darkness and confusion, but the light and the truth. How do I find it? Mm-hmm. God, you are my God whom I seek. For my flesh pines and my soul thirsts like an earth that is parched and lifeless without water. I think this is the human experience if we allow ourselves to admit it and if we allow ourselves to recognize it. Mm. We're all parched and thirsting for the truth. We can we can dull that and we can medicate that with, you know, lifestyles and philosophies and drugs and, you know, drug of choice, be it technology or media or whatever it is. We can dull those things, vengeance. But at the end of the day, every human person pines and thirsts for the God who is wisdom. Yes. And that's what this psalm speaks to. And it's a very honest psalm because it's saying, look, I need you. And what it says is I can't supply this to myself. There's something outside of me. And really, that's also what wisdom, the wisdom literature is speaking to. There's, it's not just something you'll find inside of you. This is not, this is not fundamentally Eastern philosophy. No. This is not, no, you can just find the truth in you. No, the truth is outside of you, but the truth wants to love you and embrace you. Well, but mean, it's not in you. It's out there. And once you realize you're thirst for it, for him, right? then you can find him. Well, I, I look, I mean, like the, the, this, the first image, my soul thirsts like earth parched, mm. lifeless and without water. Like you, we all can picture that image in our mind of yeah. just uh, the t- totally dried up and withered ground that's just pining and you could pour all the water you want into it and it's because it coming it's, back and it's and it's parched it's like every plant i've ever owned <laughs> <laughs> not good with greenery dude you should try cacti bro yeah i, I even kill a cacti oh man you're dude you you're bad life is hard Life is hard, dude. I, I like, I, I'm actually bad with living things. I've tried, I've tried mine. My hand at it. That's true. I can borrow living things for a little while, but I, can I can, borrow living things. But I can't maintain living things. It's hard. That's that's why. It's I'm, a good thing you're called the celibacy. Amen to that, dude. Oh my. But that that's a, that's exactly it. It's like let's let's thirst for God because the, what's the only? Or let's thing just that simply can... admit that we do thirst for God. Right. 
and but but if we admit it, then we can seek. Mm, yep. And like the, like that that first reading. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. I will remember you on my couch. I'm sitting on a couch right now remembering God. <laughs> and through the night watches, I'll meditate on you. It's, it's a beautiful psalm. It, I, I love Psalm 62. It was actually one of the psalms traditionally that was prayed by the church in the early morning hours. This is sort of how we wake. Right? Like, as the light is coming, we're thinking about how much we need you today. Which is a beautiful time to pray this psalm. Oh, man. It, well, I'll tell you what. That, my anxieties are always most aggressive in the early morning. Really? Yes. Huh. Mine are in the middle of the night. Well, that's I what I mean. Early morning. Oh, that <laughs> early morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've realized, like recently, like I'll wake up and I'll think about things, and if I start thinking about work, I'm not going back to bed. Yeah. So then I'm like, well, I'm <sighs> just gonna. It's the worst. Yeah, it's weird. I had I had this weird image last night in my dream uh-huh. that uh, there was a railroad between all of these houses, and everybody's whole project in life was to make sure that their houses were were doing well and that i had this railroad that went between all these houses like and i could them no like to them i mean like and that i would and that i needed to repair all these houses oh you had to repair them all yeah yeah oh, geez. and i was just constantly going between them repairing houses oh and i was like wow that i was really tired this morning pressure i did a lot of construction last night and my <laughs> uh, subconscious construction yeah exactly well speaking of construction that doesn't apply. First uh, Thessalonians. I know. I, I've been trying <clears throat> to come up with something to a transition segue. in the segue, but there's nothing. Oh, man. sleeping. Do not weep over those who have fallen asleep. Oh, oh see, see? We had it right there. Staring oh, us in the face. dang. All right. First Thessalonians. Uh, this part of First Thessalonians. P- picture the scene. Here's what Paul, this is St. Paul, obviously writing to his church in Thessaloniki. Here's what he's addressing. They're a bunch of converts to Christianity, not from Jew, not from Judaism. These aren't Jewish converts. These are these are converts from pagan religions, um, most of whom probably held to some version of Gnosticism. Gnosticism, in a nutshell, talks about how things of the flesh, things of material, the material world are bad, and things of the spiritual nature are good. Um, again, it's sort of a, a almost an Eastern philosophy of transcending the things of this world. And now they're finding out, wait a second, okay, so we're supposed to believe in this God who's going to bring us back from the dead and we're going to have bodies again and he's going to come back and he ascended into heaven or something? Like, what now? Yeah. And they're like, okay, we get it. We get Jesus. We get how he died for us and all this stuff. But now we're having loved ones who are actually dying, Paul. And what happens to them again? Like, we used to think they just kind of pass out of existence. But you're saying there's something else? So explain this to us. And yeah. praise be to God that they asked that question because if they hadn't, we wouldn't get as much insight into what happens and especially the second coming that, that we do. This is where we get a lot of our theology about the end times, which is kind of beautiful. So his response is, okay, d- don't be unaware, brothers and sisters, about those who have fallen asleep. Um, and fallen asleep is just a nice way to say kick the bucket, but he doesn't want to say that. <laughs> He's being very... I was not expecting you to say <laughs> kick the bucket. <laughs> So, <laughs> so that you may not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Don't be hopeless because their their mentality prior to this is once people die, they're dead. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. That's the way that the world works at the time. Right. That's the way that our world works. YOLO. Eat, drink, be merry. YOLO. You only live once, baby. Which is not true. No, you're going to live actually forever. Well, you only live once, but you're... But it's way more like, extended than, than you think it than is. Than you yeah. think it is. So don't grieve like the people who have no hope. Again, we just... Yet again, had another mass shooting, you know, at a church this time. And I love hearing um, the responses of the people 
who are part of that church in Texas who are saying you can hear the hope in a lot of their voices. Yeah. I'm saying, no, we believe we have hope. Right. It's not this completely, it is a senseless tragedy, but it's not a hopeless tragedy. And there's a big difference between senseless tragedies and hopeless tragedies. And they say, no, 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 this is horrible, but we have hope. So don't be like people who have no hope. Be like those people. Because if we believe, he says, that Jesus died and rose, so, so too will God, through Jesus, bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So essentially, if Jesus died and rose, then whatever happened to him is going to happen to us. That's your rule of thumb for Paul. If it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to us. That's what you need to know. Okay. Um, so he gives, I love this. It's the step-by-step process of what's going to happen at the end. And I love this. He says, Indeed, we tell you this on the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, the parousia, when he comes again, the second coming, those of us who are still around when the Lord comes again, we won't go before those who have fallen asleep. We don't have some leg up on those who died before us. We don't have some benefit that Grandma Judy, who died years ago, had. We're all, God's going to care for us all equally. It's not like, oh, God's going to come and we'll get to see him when he comes again, but tough luck for Grandpa Joe, who died years ago. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So step one, we were alive until the coming of the Lord. We won't perceive those who have gone to flee. So step one, for the Lord himself, number one, will descend with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, he'll come down from heaven. Step one, the Lord will come down. Step two, the dead in Christ will rise up from the grave. Grandpa Joe, he's coming back to life, um, which is crazy. Imagine you're saying this. I mean, we take this for granted as Christians. Imagine you've never heard this before. Man. Oh, yeah, this is going to be sweet. Trust me. Everybody's going to come back from the dead. You're like, wait, what did you just say? Okay, yeah, Grandpa Joe's coming back from the dead. They'll rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. The, the, the word that St. Jerome used when he translated the Bible into Latin yeah. uh, was rapturin. For rapture. caught up, to be caught up, which is where they get the idea of the rapture, that we're going to be swept up in the air. But literally just as we're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be always with the Lord. Therefore, console one another with these words. Don't be hopeless because things are okay. You're going to have life again. But um, I just have to say a word about this because I, I am utterly fascinated by this passage and what on earth this um, means for the second coming. So picture what he just said. Okay. God's going to come again. So in the last days, when things end, Christ is going to come. And the word, by the way, that Paul uses uh, is the word parousia, which I mentioned, which is a big fancy theological word, right. which is a very rare word to use in Greek. And it has a very specific context. It doesn't, it, you know, I came over to your house to record a podcast today. If I'm coming over to your house, I wouldn't use the word parousia. That's not what it means. A parousia, do you know what the word means? Have we talked about this ever? Uh, N.T. Wright talks about this in, in Jesus and the Victory of God. This is really who colored my understanding of this. Yeah, keep going. Parousia is a specific word that talks about basically a state visit, a visit of a dignitary or an official. So if Caesar was going to come and visit Thessaloniki, that's who parousia if Pope Francis was going to come and make a pastoral visit to Boulder, that's a parousia, right? If the president comes to visit, that's a, a kind of the, a parousia. The archbishop came a couple weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, that's a parousia in a certain sense, right? Yeah. It's not just, oh, I'm going to come over to your house for dinner tonight. It, it's different. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than Zacchaeus. And here's the key. Yeah, it's bigger than Zacchaeus. I'm coming to you. No, it's not. I mean, it, that's getting tricky because <laughs> Jesus is the king. He is so anywhere king, Jesus so goes is a parousia. 
Oh, interesting. Kind of, I, I, so to speak, right? But, but but we wouldn't necessarily always name it that. Because yeah, no, there, we probably wouldn't. Because because like the, there is a certain amount of formalities that exist. Well, yeah. A, if, a, if the a pope just technicalities, if the pope just goes into his bedroom, he's not like I'm parousiaing into my bed. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like in a, a more official uh, context for a visit. It's, so yeah, go ahead. Oh, so picture this. So it's different. It, it was different in the ancient world. But okay. imagine you live in Thessaloniki. We didn't do this for Archbishop Aquila when he came. No, nope. it'd kind of been cool if we did, but. Imagine you're in Thessaloniki, you hear that, the, that Caesar is coming to visit, or one of Caesar's officials. And in the ancient world, if you hear Caesar's on his way to your town, what do you do? Decorate the town with bunting. <laughs> yeah, you probably put up some buntings. <laughs> but then what do you do? Do you know? Have you heard this? This is so... I don't oh, This think blew I my mind when I first heard this. No. You go out to meet him. This is crucially important. If Caesar's coming to visit your town, you process out of the city to greet him. Right. Mm. And you meet him on the road. This is this, quite frankly, is, I think, the understanding of many people in uh, Palm Sunday. People go out to meet Jesus, who is coming riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. They go to meet him, which is what you do. And when you meet Caesar on the road, what do you do then? Well, you pay him homage and then you all turn around and you come back. You process together into your home, right? Oh, That's very wow. important. Now, if you think of that in in somebody in Thessaloniki, Thessaloniki was a, uh, I think it was the 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 one of the main provinces in Macedonia. I, it was an important political city. I, I think about this at airports. I mean, like this just makes a ton of sense when the <laughs> okay. president drops. Everybody's bringing out the big brass band, and you got oh, yeah. the jugglers and and like the mayor and the governor. They all go to the airport to meet him. And the mines. That's actually <laughs> 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 didn't expect that. <laughs> No one expects the mines Nobody to come for the Parousia. The <laughs> but they're there. But that changes the meaning of this and actually takes away from the, the kind of more modern Protestant understanding of what the rapture is. No, no, it's saying the king is coming. But if you notice this, what Paul says, he doesn't say the Lord comes to earth. It simply says he descends. And then it, so if you imagine it, Jesus comes part way. We all, the dead rise from the grave. And then the rest of us, we rapture and we're all caught up in the air. We meet in the middle. It's like a 90-10. It's, it is. It's kind of weird, though. But then Paul sort of leaves you there. He's like, you meet in the middle, and then we're going to be with the Lord always. The end. You're like, wait, we're just hanging off out, hanging on the clouds? Jesus came down. We go up, and there we are. And, I, I, and Paul leaves it, it at that. And I wonder if you're in the original audience, if you live in Thessaloniki, you know how the political system works. You know the king is coming. And you hear, oh, you go up to meet him. Well, the implication is then you're going to come back. You're going to accompany Jesus back. But this is then where the church gets into the idea of the new heaven. It's not going to be the same earth that we left. It's going, I, I actually believe, and I'm not making this up, but I don't know if this is, this is my understanding. I think that moment that we meet Jesus in the clouds will be the final judgment. We meet, we encounter him. The dead are, are lifted up. We are there. And we will have that final judgment. And then we will accompany him back to the new heavens and the new earth, which he ushers in at the time of his second coming. And there we will live forever with him. When heaven finally meets earth, when the veil, the apocalypsis is lifted between heaven and earth. And there we are. This profound moment. But it's, it's a neat image. It is. Which is, I love it because um, when I, there was a time that I thought Christianity was escapist. And the idea of Christianity was, well, the world stinks, things are hard, things are dark. Someday Jesus is just going to sweep us off into the clouds and we can say, heck with this place. Which is never what Christianity has been. Christianity is, no, we have a God who stepped into human history to set the world right. To right. recreate us, to resurrect us, to, um, to renew us. 
which is what he's doing with all of creation. That's why the scriptures continually talk about a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. This passage is not escapism. This is transformative. This is God reshaping everything in his image, which is very beautiful. You know, it's it's really it's really cool. I I, uh, I was thinking about Archbishop Aquila's visit, mm. and I had teams of people who cleaned, who cooked, who got yeah. the liturgy ready, and I did. I waited outside for his car to park, and then I took him, and then accompanied him over to my house, yeah. accompanied him over to the church. But you go meet him. You go meet it. You go out to meet him. It's and appropriate. The, but but the preparations yes. for the parousia. Yes. Are like they're actually essential. Imagine being yes. surprised by this. <laughs> that ain't good. This is Caesar ain't going to be happy. No man. I just I yeah. my, my recommendation is run to a graveyard, run to a cemetery because that's where a lot of people are going to be rising from. And you'll the just grave. get lost in the crowd. Yeah, yeah, just lost in the crowd, man. Just Hang blend on to somebody's legs. You blend. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> this is my recommendation for those of you who are oh, caught unawares. What a wonderful. What a wonderful image. <laughs> it's just like, uh-oh. Yeah. Okay, this directly applies to Matthew. Matteo. Which I didn't think, if, if you'd have asked me about this a month ago, I wouldn't have had any clue what to do with this. Do you remember we talked about this? Yeah, but keep keep Just going. you and me talked about it. Yeah. So I did this class a couple of weeks back on the Jewish feasts and how they correlate to the seven sacraments and all these things. And I learned a lot about Yom Kippur. Which you can go to thomascenter.org and go and listen to those. Slash A-I-C-T. Yeah, they're yeah. all there. Um, but I did a whole—I I did one on the Feast of Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish Feast of Atonement, which we celebrated just a few weeks ago. It was here in the fall. But I learned a little bit about what happens in the Old Testament on the, on the Day of Atonement. And I have become convinced that our gospel reading is not just some random reading about a wedding— it's actually a reading about what happens on the day of Yom Kippur in the Jewish world. Here's why. Okay. So this is the parable of the ten virgins. And if you remember, the parable of the ten virgins, Jesus tells this parable, the kingdom is going to be like these ten virgins. They had their lamps. They went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five were wives, wise. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them had enough oil for their lamps and others didn't have enough. And the bridegroom was delayed and they all fell asleep. And then at midnight there was a cry, behold, the bridegroom has come, come and come out to meet him. And they all got up, they trimmed their lamps, and the foolish one said to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil, we, we ran out. And they're like, no, we don't have enough, we, we need what we have. Um, there not, may not be enough for us and you, and so go out and, and buy your own. And they went, and then they missed the bridegroom, and he went, and he had everyone come into the marriage feast, and they missed out because they weren't prepared, and da 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 And I'm like, oh, that, that's an interesting parable. But then I learned about Yom Kippur. And here's what happened in the ancient, ancient Jewish Yom Kippur in Jesus' time, in the time of the temple, Yom Kippur was the one day of the year where the priest, the high priest, only the high priest, was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple. And they had to tie a rope around him in case he bonked. In case he died. Right. And, and the Holy, Because the Holy of Holies was believed to be the place where God literally dwelled. It was the center of the tabernacle. The reason there's a reason we call those big boxes in our churches tabernacles, tabernacles. because that's where God literally tangibly dwells in right. the Eucharist. But there's an Old Testament precedent for that. They, yeah. God literally dwelt there, and to go into the presence of God was a pretty scary thing. And so they had to, like you said, they had tied a rope around him because if he's if he died in there somehow, or if nobody struck, else is going in there, you got to just pull him out. And if God got like ticked at him and struck him dead, that's what <laughs> I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, or if he just had a heart attack, you know. So you pull him out. So, but this was the one. So this would be a terrifying or, or, day. Or if uh, he was supposed to pray something and he was struck dumb, like Zechariah. Like Zechariah, who couldn't. Well, he wasn't a high priest, but so he wouldn't have been doing this. Oh, never mind. Then. He was just offering the incense. Oh, okay. which is a bit different, but yeah, yeah. still. 
Um, okay, so what happens? So the high priest goes in there, and while he's in there, he offers a number of prayers. There's sacrifices he offers. He goes in. It's actually very beautiful. The priest goes in wearing this seamless tunic, which is actually described in the same way of what Jesus is wearing when he's stripped before the cross, right? This seamless white tunic that they go in. They kill They kill some animals. There's probably blood all over. They offer all these prayers, uh, and the priest actually then has to change clothes after he does the offerings, after he offers the prayers of the people of God, after he asks forgiveness for all of our sins and all the things that we've committed on our behalf. He changes clothes, and he's supposed to come out of the Holy of Holies wearing merit marriage garments bridegroom garments so like a, the equivalent of a, a tuxedo right yeah if you're getting married he comes out wearing uh, uh what a bridegroom would wear and it could take a really long time there's a number of sacrifices that he has to do there's a lot of blood there's the changing could take a while there's a lot of prayers that you have to pray nobody knew how long it would take and so while the priest is in the holy of holies everybody else is gathered outside waiting for him to come out because he's in with the presence of God. He's offering our petitions. He's saying, uh, basically offering confession for what we've done. And we're hoping that God accepts those prayers. God, please accept our, our prayers. God, accept our sorrow for our sins. Forgive us for another year. And then the moment the priest came out, everybody could kind of breathe, breathe a sigh of relief. Like, oh, okay, he didn't die in there. God didn't struck him, strike him down. Our, our sins have been forgiven. And he comes out in the bridegroom um, outfits. It was a tradition that around Jerusalem, virgins would come out in the courtyard dressed in wedding garments. They would wear white wedding uh, veils and, and wedding dresses, and they would dance around waiting for the priest who has reunited us in a marital sense, in a covenantal sense with God through forgiveness of our sins. And when the priest came out, the people would, or the, the priest would declare, the bridegroom has come. And everyone would flip out and rejoice, like, yay, it worked. He offered, he accepted our prayers. The priest isn't dead. We're all dressed, you know, this is a big marriage. And then the priest would go to his house, the house of the high priest, and there'd be a massive wedding feast that everybody would have. So that's kind of cool. And that's beautiful. So yeah. I think that's clearly what's being evoked here. And it could take, it could take till midnight. It's kind of like the Easter vigil. Like you're sitting there, you're like going through all the different prayers and you're like, wow, what time is it? But here's the thing. Well, I, I'm, oh, I'm listening. I'm listening. Okay. And it's so interesting when we talk about this in relationship to the parousia, yeah. because because <laughs> it, it's it's this crazy. When you, we look at Christ, we see an inversion, because he's the one who comes Ooh. to greet and to welcome. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I, I'm just I'm just listening. I, I think there's a lot of layers to this. There's a lot. Of, I mean, there's it, lots it's of layers. Not, that's not just one way. To it's not see clean it. cut. Well, here's the question. This is the question I had to wrestle with when I was kind of preparing for this class. Jesus is fulfilling all of the Old Testament. He's fulfilling all the Jewish feasts. He fulfills Absolutely. Yom Kippur. He does all these things. He is our high priest, right? That's very clear. Hebrews says that. Right. When does Jesus go into the Holy of Holies? In his death. How so? Oh, no, no. He goes in the ascension. Aha. Uh -huh. So Jesus never went into the Holy of Holies of the physical stone temple in Jerusalem. He no, never does that. No, it's temple of heaven. But Hebrews says that when he, that, you know, he goes into heaven, into the more perfect Holy of Holies. You remember when Moses was told, you got to build this tabernacle? And he's like, okay, I'll fumble through. Yeah. Well, it's not that. He is shown a vision. It's right. in, what, Exodus 25, maybe? He's shown a vision of a heavenly temple and a heavenly tabernacle. 
tabernacle, a heavenly holy of holies. And he says, he's told, build something like that. Build this on earth, a model. Absolutely. And Hebrews says, when Jesus dies and ascends into heaven, he goes into the perfect holy of holies, not offering the blood of goats and bulls, but offering himself on that altar as high priest and victim, priest, victim, and and, and, uh, priest, what was the old? Priest, altar, and victim. Priest, altar, and victim. Yeah, offering himself. So what are we all waiting for here on earth? We are like the 10 virgins. We are the people waiting for the high priest to come back and say, it's done It's in glory to come mm. out of the Holy of Holies and to say it's, and, and here's the thing. It is done. It is complete. Jesus has performed that. Our sacrifice has been offered. We have been forgiven. It is a done deal. Right. But we are still waiting for the high priest to come back out and bring us all to the feast, to the marriage celebration. Because that's what he did in the Ascension is he went into the Holy of Holies and is there now presenting everything as mediator, as as the one who can mediate truly in the midst of it. And we now await like the 10 virgins. Exactly. That's so exciting. And he's changing his clothes. He's putting on the garments. I mean, he he ascended in the, 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 tunic of a of of a person who's kind of impoverished and and an outcast and a a convicted criminal and he ascended but he's going to come back in the garments of glory in the bridegroom garments and what does revelation constantly say it talks about heaven what we're being called to as a marriage feast and a celebration that's what we're waiting for so we're like those 10 virgins we better be ready because yeah. Caesar's coming to visit. The king is coming. The Christ is on his way. And we better have our oil. Late. It might be late. It might be midnight by the time he shows up. Are you going to be ready to get up and go out of the city to greet him? Has the cleaning crew come? Are the candles lit? Are you ready to go? Because yeah, he's do you have on all the way. supplies? Because like, this is the thing is because this feast is going to happen. And-, and you know that it's done. It's happening. He's coming because the sacrifice is complete. Right. It's been offered. It's, it's, it's a done deal. So you better be ready because you're not saying, is he coming or not? You're saying, when is he coming? And that's right. the question. And that's where I think about the conversation that you're meant to have in anticipation of the return of the king. Mm. That's why like, when I look at this wisdom and we say, oh, look, look at the wisdom by which God has wrought all these mm. things. And as we have this conversation, what, this is what's so exciting about even what we do in the podcast and why why I think a lot of y'all maybe tune in is because, Scott, you and I enjoy talking about yeah. this. We enjoy wish in, we had, in anticipation. Wish we had some bourbon. Yeah, wish we had some <laughs> bourbon. Yeah, absolutely. The, that that this, is, this is the thing that it's like, wow, getting to engage mm. with what was spoken and to to dance in our hearts to actually put on the heart like uh, clothe our hearts in the leotard of old and dance <laughs> around the uh, the beauty of the scriptures with our torches lit. I'm swinging so many scarves in my yeah, hands. Yeah, dude. No, I mean, that, no idea. You know that's absurd, but like, <laughs> but like, there's something like, like that's why I like Emmaus, where our hearts not on fire yeah. as he opened the word to us on the way. Yeah. And that's like, that's where we just anticipate. And and the more we're willing to follow after God's will and do good works, mm. the more our, t- our torches just burn brightly right. in the midst of this, just waiting, right. saying like, oh, it's done. I want this all to come back together. Mm. And like, 
you, uh, you know, you, and it's it's not escapist. Yep. It's no. It's 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 actually the opposite. It's, it's the saying, opposite. W- wisdom penetrates all things. Yes. We can enter into all things and to you see how the new heavens and the new earth and how we're going to be caught up into the heavens and how all of this is actually going to be made sense of in the midst of mm-hmm. this, the the heart of the one who um, came to us to to be able to invert it around. So, mm. dude, this is this is good good stuff, that man. That's cool. It's fun. It's fun stuff. May may all of our sins be atoned for. Mm, indeed. Indeed, so that when the king comes, we can have a serious a big party. I hope they give me a. I hope I get at least like a set for DJing in heaven. I just want a little set, but it will be a glorified set. It'll be a glorified. I mean, that's gonna be the best set of my life, absolutely. But just give me one. I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of DJs in heaven, you know. (laughs) But dude, uh, I hope I have a you'll get one. I I have no doubt. Yeah, after a long time, all right. We'll be back next week, you guys. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you then. Peace. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.